Are you self-employed and looking to get a home loan? Do you want to buy a property with your super fund? Or has your mortgage application been knocked back and you need a solution? At Better Mortgage Management, we specialize in solutions for home and investment loan borrowers. With over 50 loan products and 23 years lending experience, we have the flexibility and expertise to help you achieve your property dreams. Call us at 1300 857 275 to discuss how we can help you. This podcast is brought to you by Better Mortgage Management. Welcome to Season 2 of Cancer Culture Podcast. This podcast is not just about cancer. It's about the people whose lives have been profoundly affected by it. Throughout this season, we will hear from individuals who have faced unimaginable challenges from the relentless battles against this disease to the heartbreaking losses, sincere, real stories that need to be heard. Cancer Culture is a place of refuge where we try to provide insight, empathy, and a space for authentic storytelling. This podcast isn't an easy one, and it's definitely not for everyone. It is filled with moments of sadness, reflection, and inspiration, but also highlights profound growth, connection, and hope. I'm Jackie Cowan, and I'm your host. I'm definitely not a medical practitioner, but a normal 27-year-old chick who survived the hardships of cancer. If cancer has touched your life in any way, whether you're a patient, a caregiver, or someone who has experienced the pain of losing a loved one, reach out to me, reach out to our guests, and let us be a source of strength and support for one another. With gratitude in our hearts and a shared commitment to understanding and compassion, Let us honour the incredible individuals who have chosen to share their stories throughout season one and two. Through cancer culture, we can attempt to navigate the complexities of cancer, celebrate the triumphs and stand in solidarity with those who face this disease with unwavering courage. You're listening to another episode of Cancer Culture. Today we're joined by Ray Clifton. How are you, Ray? I'm great. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and recording today. You have a pretty amazing story. And so can you give our listeners a little bit of an insight into what your life was like prior to cancer and a little bit about yourself? Yeah, no worries. I grew up about an hour from Melbourne out in the Western suburbs with my mum, my dad and my brother. I grew up in a really loving household, supportive household. And we moved to Australia from London. So I think we've always been really close as a family unit. We didn't have extended family here or a big friend base either. So we always relied on each other, which is great. My parents have been together since they were 16. Wow. So for 47 years. And they just celebrated their 37th wedding anniversary as well. So They're still madly in love and I think that set a really nice standard of what my brother and I want as well. So That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I'm really close to my brother still. So he is two years younger than me, but we are very close. And I think, I mean, I think the cancer experience brought us closer as well. And I know that might sound strange. I think we've always have been, but now we live together and He's definitely someone in my life when shit hits the fan or when things go wrong, I tend to run to him and he's very much my support person. I think he just gets it. 
he's not a super emotional person like me I am so I think it's a nice balance he can he grounds me which is great we are crazy dog people so I have a beautiful rescue greyhound who's the light of my life and he loves my brother too and we my housemate also has a chihuahua cross maltese shih tzu so it gets a bit hectic in my house sometimes what a combo my boyfriend has a miniature long-haired dash hound so (laughs) he comes over too and it's just absolute chaos and yeah we must just look so strange to people when we're walking down the street with these three misfit dogs but it's motley crew (laughs) yeah literally (laughs) but um, yeah we have A beautiful household now with my brother, my best friend. We very much look at life trying to enjoy it. My parents always taught us to work hard, not so much to for the money, but so you can enjoy yourself and enjoy your life. In terms of work and what I do, I have worked in cancer care for about three, three and a half years. Initially, I worked in a skin tumour unit in the UK as a patient coordinator. I absolutely loved it. I have a lot of respect for the public health service over there because I grew up there and then going back and working there was just a dream come true. It was my first kind of exposure to multidisciplinary care and seeing how that works in real life and it's something that we did really well in that skin tumor unit we had dermatologists oncologists plastic surgeons all working together in a multidisciplinary team and clinical nurse specialists and we'd have patients who would have had their diagnosis and they were straight in having specialist care they had really specific targets over there on their optimal care pathways, which is something that I would love to see done better in Australia. And then in Australia, I've worked in a big public hospital in Melbourne. And most recently, I work for Breast Cancer Network Australia, which is a consumer-led organisation that advocates for everyone in Australia affected by breast cancer to receive the best treatment, care and support. And I absolutely love it. It's a wonderful organisation. I wholeheartedly believe in it so I feel very grateful of what I get to do and I feel very honoured that I get to be there for people in their most vulnerable moments. It's incredible that you do that it's actually yeah. I just got goosebumps yeah. because you and I are a similar age yes. and for somebody to take that path in terms of their career mm. is a big step it's a yeah. massive step. And we were saying before we were recording that you were, was it 21 when you took on that job in the UK? Yeah, 21. So I know I look back, but I honestly, and I never thought I would work in cancer care. Like I never, I don't know. I just never thought about it. But since I've been working in it, I just love it so much. Honestly, it's a privilege to be there. And I just would love to continue my career. Such an imperative role. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes unless you're in the heat of it all, like whether you're receiving treatment or not, it may or may not be overlooked. And I mean that in the kindest way possible because Mm. it is such a big job Mm. and it would just, it would take a lot to be able to step up and do that and provide that service. So I applaud you (laughs) and everyone else in the industry, seriously, so much. And I know everyone else listening to this podcast feels the same. Yeah, no, it's an honor, honestly. Like I, I feel very lucky. I get to do what I do. As a 21-year-old, how did that even 
happen because when I was 21 I was clubbing and I was all right I'll work (laughs) across pizza to get by and then we'll see what happens later on in life and but 21 in the UK doing the summer yeah literally (laughs) so my cousin actually worked at the hospital and he got me the job and I to be honest I didn't even think about it I was just so excited to be living in London that was always one of my dreams when I was growing up to go back and work there so I just stepped into it and I think it was so busy. It was so fast paced that I just had to keep up mm. and I had to just keep going, which I think is, was the best way probably at 21 to be thrown in. And yeah, I just, I have a few experiences from that that have stuck with me. So I remember one of the nurses and I used to sit in the room sometimes and we'd book a specialist special kind of treatment for some of the patients and one of the nurses gave me a warning before one of the patients came in and said right this man he's quite unwell and I remember thinking I don't know why she's saying this to me because I see unwell patients all the time okay and then he walked in and it's a moment that's really stuck with me forever He was young as well, so he was probably only 26 or 27. And he, the only way I could describe it at at the time was he looked like a Simpson because his face, he was completely yellow, jaundice. And I didn't know what that meant then, but was in liver failure. And I remember just, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to talk to him. And that's, that. I feel like embarrassing that now. And I think that's what a lot of people get caught up on is we often don't know what to say or what to do, but there's never a right thing to say. There's never a right thing to do. It's just about treating people as they are and as mm. you would treat anyone. And I remember in that moment feeling a bit angry at myself actually and a bit guilty because I thought here I am at 21 I think I'm invincible I'm traveling I'm doing all these things that this person should be doing this beautiful young man who he was just he was so sick and I it's always stuck with me I think of him quite often actually and I think if I ever need a moment to be to realize how lucky I am I I go back to that and I think when you work in cancer care you just have those moments that always stick with you so I think it it gives you something called perspective, which may, maybe I'll talk about a bit later, but yeah. When I interviewed my oncologist, his partner is also works within oncology and she highlighted that talking with people within the profession is incredibly important because you go through a lot as well. And it's important to focus on the mental health of on the opposite end. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? In terms of my mental health, I probably don't do it as good as what I could. I think for me, I think I have pretty good at my own experiences and life experience. And this is outside of what I do. I've been pretty good at knowing when I need a break, recognizing what those emotions look like in me, and then having some things in place of what to do. So for me, it's walking the dogs, it's journaling, it's taking some time out. But sometimes I think I, if I am so busy, I could definitely be better. Sometimes I get so busy and so it's just like I keep going. When my dad 
was diagnosed. Mm. It was the end of last year. So incredibly busy time trying to wrap up work. It was just before Christmas. So I think it was just a time where it probably hit me even harder than what maybe if I was practicing my mental health better, it wouldn't have been so flooring. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us about your dad? Yeah. So my amazing dad, my dad has always been incredibly involved with me and my brother and he is goofy. We w- He would <laughs> dress up when we were little and paint our faces and we would make a camps under the dining room table and camp out like he was and he's still like that he still cracks silly jokes and he's still a nutter but we just love it and he so yeah that's what he's just like a really amazing person and a really great dad not just in the way that we the basics that we expect traditional yeah yeah, he, he really is and he retired at the end of last year and then he was having pain in his back and it became really intense that he went to the emergency room and they found kidney stones and he went in for surgery to have a stent put in so the doctors could I think it's called blast them out but they go in and they get rid of them And he had one surgery and they left the stent in there. And he was a bit confused because he thought originally they would take the stent out and they didn't. And then he went back for another surgery. So maybe in my head at this time when he was going in for surgery, I knew it was kidney stones, but maybe something in the back of my mind was sitting there subconsciously because then when he went in for surgery, and this was on the 13th of December, 2022. And it's another one of those moments, Jackie, that sticks with you. And I think mm. you'll appreciate that too. It's it's not D-Day, it's C-Day. And I was at work in the office and I remember he called me and he just said, Ray, they found a tumour in my kidney and it's cancerous. And I just, I was like, this sounds... I don't want this to trivialize it, but I was thinking on the 12th day of Christmas, life brought to me a cancer diagnosis. And I was just like completely flawed. Like it just, I just broke down at work. And I remember just crying in the bathroom and saying to dad on the phone, I love you. It's okay. We'll work through it. And he was getting choked up as well, which is not something I hear often. So... Yeah. And it's crazy. I look back and I think when I was so upset at work, I actually felt like being at work was the safest space for me at that moment. And I thought if I go home, I'm just going to yeah curl into a ball. It's going to be even worse. I'm just going to get through the day and then I'm going to go and see my brother. I stayed at work during the day. And then as I always do, ran to my brother for support. And I remember mom and dad telling me, that they weren't going to tell my brother until they got home, until he got home from work, which I agreed I thought was the best thing to do. And so I could be there as well. And yeah, it was just, it just totally floored me. And I think I've worked in cancer care for such a long time, but it's just so different when it's you. It's just, I just felt terrible. And for the next three days while we were waiting for the outcome and what stage it was at and what the next steps were, oh, that was horrible. And yeah, three days we waited and I just think about people who are sitting there waiting for weeks for their results. And I hear that all the time. That was the worst part, the waiting and the unknown because your brain goes into this flight or flight and you start making up these scenarios in your head. And this sounds crazy, I know, Jackie, but like 
I was sitting there thinking, my dad's not going to be at my wedding. My dad's not going to meet my kids. And it's just, you just completely traumatize it. And you, it's like a disaster, right? You just, your brain is like almost trying to deal with the worst so that you can feel a little bit prepared, but you can't ever be prepared for it. No, you can never be prepared Um, for anything. No, No, absolutely. And you think someone who had, I've heard all these stories, I've experienced it, I've seen sick people, but then when it's you, it's just... Yeah, so my heart, I remember thinking, God, what do people do when they're waiting weeks and weeks for results? What do they do when they're told something and it's actually the wrong thing? What do they, what do, they do when it changes? Mm. And I'm someone that's quite health literate and have a good understanding of some cancer treatments. And even I was like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, it just completely floored me. And forge dad and I think they I think mom and dad looked at me for support as well because of what I do and yeah the knowledge that so I had to be strong there as well and give them a bit of logical let's just take it so it was weird because I felt like I was falling apart but then Mm. I still had to I still had to be a bit stable for other people when it becomes a lived experience (laughs) it is so terrifying Mm understandably and regardless of if you do this for work you never expect it to happen to yourself no you don't and it's just yeah I hear stories like this and it breaks my heart obviously each story is incredibly unique but there have been a few stories that have popped up recently where specifically men retire they retire after putting their heart and soul into their entire life their work providing for their family and then bam they have a surgery of sorts or an accident or something and then what comes of it is a cancer diagnosis and it breaks my heart because no one's you're not meant to have cancer at any age no one that's the truth whether you're 18 months or you're 70 no one should have to deal with a cancer illness but it yeah it hurts me when I hear these stories mm-hmm. your dad's embarking on this new chapter of his life yep and then he's confronted they were so excited this. to retire they both retired my mum and my dad and they were actually coming down to Melbourne or they were driving down and to stay over Christmas and they said we can stay as long as we want to stay we can spend some time with you guys but then they had to get back because they had to see my dad's surgeon and Mm -hmm. go for next steps. But it's crazy to say this, but it's so lucky that he had kidney stones Mm. because his doctor said, if you didn't have those, we wouldn't have found this for a year to 18 months. You wouldn't have started presenting with symptoms and it would be a completely different story. Yeah. So I think there's nothing lucky about having cancer, but that almost felt, think someone was looking over Mm -hmm. us someone was some something happened there where it was caught and it was caught at a time where the tumor was only about a centimeter Mm -hmm. and 80 percent of it was low grade and 20 percent of it was high grade so the real worry was that high grade part component of the tumor and that's where it can move and spread And when my dad was down in Melbourne, so that was on the 13th of December, and then he, they came down maybe a week or maybe just over a week later, they drove down from Queensland and he went to the emergency room 
in Melbourne, I think three or four times because he was in so much pain. And we think it was because the stent was still in there. Um, Over Christmas, when we were supposed to be celebrating, I remember taking him to the hospital, picking him up. And it just was so awful to see him so sad at a time that's supposed to be so happy. And we're big Christmas nuts. We go all out. So it was, yeah. And it's usually a time when it's us four. It's really a beautiful time. We love having it just us for our family. And yeah, it was just awful. And I remember then I was catching up with friends in between or we were doing things and I had to put this brave face on in front of people and what have you been doing? And I didn't want to sit there and be like, oh, I'm just taking my dad to the hospital, picking him up. And not that I felt anything ashamed in that. It's just I just didn't want to handle it at that time. I wanted to block it out. It is what it is. It was just a really hard time. And then he was really anxious to get home. And I think he wanted to just see his surgeon and make the next steps. And this is super recent. This was last year, right? Yeah. Yeah. So just over Christmas time. Another thing, this was in the initial diagnosis days. Dad was saying, oh, I don't think they're looking at doing chemo. I don't think they're going to do anything like that. And I remember thinking, oh my God, thank God, because my experience of people that have chemotherapy is just, it's just, don't get me wrong, it saves people's lives and people wouldn't be here. But the aftermath of that, people Mm. deal with lifelong effects from chemo. And I think this is something that we don't talk about enough of in the community and in society is we look at, and even myself, I've been I feel a bit guilty to say, but you look at cancer now and the narrative is that there's treatments and the outcomes are so much better and we can do this and we can do this. But the reality is people live with lifelong impacts of treatment and of cancer. Mentally and physically. Absolutely. And I think that we, people that aren't sick as well, we almost want them to be better and we want them to get to that point because we love them so much and we're like, oh, we just, we want to be on the other side. And I just wish people would see that. I think more, I wish people would see more that after cancer, I don't think you're ever the same. Cancer just doesn't, it doesn't go away. But the reality of it is that it's something that you have to learn to live with for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Yep. And I Mm. think with my dad, like you say, he was lucky in the sense that he didn't have to have chemo or any radiation or anything like that. I say this and then he did have to have his kidney removed. That's a massive surgery. Yeah. (laughs) And losing a vital organ is at 62. Yeah. Yeah, like that, of course. I think we underplayed that, but I think we felt grateful that it was that and then we could move on. And that he had his kidney removed on the 21st of March, 2023. Okay, so that's still a fair bit of time sitting and waiting and just, yeah, I couldn't imagine. He sounds like a semi-chill guy, but still like the internal battle. I remember when he told me when he got home in January, I think they made the plan mid-Jan. And they gave my dad the choice of whether he just leaves the tumour there and we monitor it and see how it goes or whether he takes the kidney out. And it was, I'm so glad that he came to that decision. It was 100% mm. his choice to do that. But I was, I was like, 
yes, great decision. (laughs) It's not ideal, obviously. Nobody wants to lose a kidney, but I just think it gives that little bit of reassurance, more reassurance. And yeah, I said to him, that does seem like it's two months waiting. And he was a private patient as well. So I thought that does seem like a time, but we were guided by his surgeon and what they said. And we just trusted in that. You've got to trust them. So was it just the removal of the kidney and then that was it? And now they're monitoring it? Yeah. So he had his kidney out. It was about a six week recovery until he was back to doing normal things. And he's got quite a gnarly scar across his stomach. And yeah, he had some scans done two weeks ago and they were all clear, which is great. And now he just goes for yearly scans of his abdomen and kind of his bladder and that whole area and at the back as well. That's good news. It's amazing news. Like it was the best outcome we could have. Yeah, we could have wanted that. So how's he going? He's doing really well. So they, we're all going to Bali in October (laughs) and then they've got two holidays planned next year, which is fantastic. In terms of diagnosis, treatment, and life after, we did have a really good experience and minimal and not as invasive. But of course, things still stick with you. And there's always that fear of recurrence. What if it comes back? What if it's progressed? What if it is somewhere else? And that's something that lingers. Yes. That's that thing that we talked about before. It stays with you forever. And that's the mental impact, right? Of Yeah of what happens when something like this happens I think you just become more conscious you're like oh actually there are consequences of your behaviors and my dad he loves a good he loves a beer now has to have one beer one glass of water and it was funny he came down to Melbourne about a month ago for our housewarming party and (laughs) I remember looking through the kitchen window at him and he was drinking a glass of water and he just brought it up and looked at me and winked. <laughs> and he knew because he knew I'd be on him saying, make sure you're drinking that water. Yeah, <laughs> one beer, one water. What beer does he drink just out of? He drinks um, Hollandia. It's, oh. it's a really random like Dutch beer, I think. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, he's really, he's quite random. And he, he bought a Vespa after his diagnosis or just before I think it was after I think he treated himself and he bought a little Vespa and up on the sunny coast and he drives down to the bottle and puts his beers in the kind of thing and then drives home and I just um yeah it's just it's funny to think about that but it's the little things <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, I'm glad to hear that he's doing well yeah and it's only yearly checkups I'm interested, so when they removed the kidney, did they say anything about it potentially growing or anything like that or moving throughout the body or were they 100% confident that it was fully gone? His surgeon was quite confident that they had, that would be the solution. However, the reason they're still doing scans and they did a few tests about six weeks after, I think, is to check to make sure it hadn't spread anywhere because sometimes the cancer cells are so small that they can't detect it at the time but then if they've moved they can then start to go somewhere else so he did explain that was a possibility and that is what the tests are there to do and the one he had recently was to make sure it wasn't in his bladder 
and it hadn't gone anywhere else. It was a pretty good prognosis and a pretty good chances of it spreading were low, but that's why you have that monitoring, right? Just to make sure. Yeah. Yeah. How was your mum through it at all? Yeah, mum was great, actually. I think she mostly just felt sad. I went up to Queensland when my dad had his surgery. My brother went up the week before and then I went up when he had it. We went into the hospital and my dad was very sad then. And he's very much, like I said, they're madly in love still. When my mum goes away, he doesn't sleep properly. So when he was in the hospital, I think he was just really missing her. My mum's really strong. She's quite emotional, but she's a really strong lady. She doesn't take any crap and I wouldn't want to mess with her. Yeah, we love it. She's a queen. But so she was great, actually. I think she just felt bad. Then we'd come home from the hospital and she would just say, poor Gaz, he's still in there. I'd say, it's okay, mum. A couple more days, a couple more days. But I really wanted to be there so she wasn't sitting at home by herself because that's when your brain starts clogging and you start thinking of all these possibilities. So it was nice that I got to spend that time with her and we could be together. I think just going back to the time of the diagnosis as well, when it happened, and I look back at this now, and I know it's only been eight months, but I think given how good and how smooth everything went, I've been able to reflect and I do that quite a lot anyway throughout things happen and I'm quite good at reflecting and then thinking about how that felt. And looking back when I, when my dad, when I first found out, I found it really hard to tell people Mm -hmm. and my dad found it really hard to tell people and he didn't want people to get upset. He didn't want people to be messaging him, asking questions. So I remember he said, he asked my brother and I to go and tell our family friends who lived still down in Melbourne. And I and I wanted to do that for him because I knew how hard it would be for him. You take that on, but I was happy to do it like I was, but it, it becomes hard. It's almost the baton goes to you and you're carrying that. You want to make sure you say the right thing and give it justice and it's not your it's not your diagnosis, so you want to make sure that you get it across. And my dad just very much wanted it to be like, this is it, this is what we're doing and leave out the rest. But for me, telling my friends, and I just started dating my boyfriend then and I felt... I just wanted to be like body coddled. Like I just wanted someone to, and I don't think that would have helped me looking back. Mm. I don't think that's really what I wanted in those times of despair and grief. You just want to be someone to hug you and just to be like, it's okay. I'm here. I see it. I've got it. And then maybe people didn't react like that. And then that made me feel this is a bit crazy to say and embarrassing now that I look back, but I was like a little bit angry at people around me. Because I was, my whole life has just stopped. My whole world has just stopped spinning and you're just going on. You're just going to live your life. You're okay. You're doing what you need to do. And I was how dare you? Yeah. (laughs) Which sounds crazy. And you probably can get that too, but you just think to yourself, and I don't think it may, I don't think it would have helped if people were like, are you okay? Let me do this. Because I probably would have been angry that way too. (laughs) (laughs) 
but I think it's just in those moments you just want almost someone to yeah wrap you in a blanket mm-hmm. and put all the blinds down and put on a movie and you just stay there until it's over yeah and give you a big warm hug and that was yeah. something I've looked back on and I'm wow my housemate Jess I used to get I used to talk to her about it and I used to get offended that people hadn't asked me mm-hmm. how my dad was and I'd be like oh they haven't checked in they haven't said this yeah but really and now that I look back it's nobody else's job to to keep you supported and to keep you upright but I guess when you think about how you can support people going through a diagnosis when you can support your friends I think my advice for that is just to be aware that there's a lot of different emotions and it might come out in a way that you don't quite get or you think why are they being like this why are they being angry why are they short but it's about just holding space for the people that you love and absolutely and just saying how can I support you what can I do and sometimes people don't know I hear stories from work of people turn up at people's doors with food and this and that and they want to clean their house and then other people just completely go they go away because they don't know what to do they just vanish that's something that I've been hearing quite a fair bit and I'm glad you brought it up because it was something that I would like to talk about in terms of how people can be more present and Mm. how people can show up for their mates and their family and part of what this podcast is about is helping people or guiding people into how they can be more present and uh, I don't want to say better friends or anything because you can still be a good friend because it's such a difficult time people drop off yeah and don't get me wrong my friends were amazing looking back now it's just I think at the time I was just in such a state that I just I felt like a problem shared is a problem halved right and I wanted these people to come in when I just started dating my boyfriend then. So it's a bit of that awkward, do I tell him? Like, he's not really my support person yet. And I think I've not played it down, but I definitely held back from that relationship in terms of telling him how I felt. And then when we moved on and then in March, when my dad was having surgery, he was, oh, what's going on? Which which was strange. It's hard when you're navigating that new stages of relationships and everything, and then this comes in too. I'm not sure I was probably <laughs> the most stable I could have been. I think in terms of supporting your mates, like you said, and how you do that better, my advice is just listen. And sometimes people, when they're really in the depths of that, the initial grief and diagnosis, They don't know what they want. They don't know what they need to hear. And I think it's really important to know there's no right way to go about it and there's no right thing to say. I think we get really caught up in being like, I don't want to hurt this person's feelings. I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. But the best thing that you can do is to just hold that space for them. And I think as well, like you said about mental health, try and work on that for yourself. Mm. If I was supporting one of my mates, how can I make sure that I'm stable and I'm in a place where I can deal with this? Because if they come to me and they really need it, I want to make sure I can take that on and that I have this safe environment for them. So I think the best thing you can do as a support or a loved one or a friend is to check in with yourself. Check in with how you look at cancer. What does cancer mean to you? How do you feel about it? Okay, maybe I can start understanding some of that and 
where am I at? How can I emotionally be there? I'm going to be there for this person, not in a way that then oversteps my boundaries or Mm. makes me uncomfortable. But this is probably how I could be there. We could go for a walk. We can sit on the couch and watch a movie. And you can help someone because they're not, I just, yeah, like I said, you're not going to know sometimes always what you want. You're just in this place where you just wish someone would do something. Mm. So I think if you can check in with yourself as a support person and know where you're at, then you're going to be able to be there for people when they are falling apart. Something that I hear a lot is from people that have been diagnosed themselves. And this broke my heart when I've heard this a few times, but people say it's worse watching what cancer does to your friends and the pe- and family and people you love than what it is going through it yourself. And I remember when I heard that for the first time and I just thought, oh my goodness, I can't, it was just unbelievable if people heard that and knew that it's worse for the person who's sick to watch what it does to other people. That made me really check in with myself and think that's why I think you've got to put in the work so that you are they not, this person already has so much going on with their, they're trying to go through treatment, they're trying to go through whatever side effects they're experiencing and then to have to worry about the people that they love. Oh, there's I massive just, guilt associated with oh, it. It's just, I just remember thinking, oh my goodness. And I think that just goes to my point of making sure that we as support people, if you want to be, if you're a support person, is to really do the work and to really check in, to know where you're at, to be stable so that you can be there for that person who's going through it. And then have your support people too outside of that. So you as a support person, try and work with yourself, but then also have your people who are outside of this, the person who's been diagnosed, try and keep it separate, I would say. Have those people around for you when you need a moment, when you need someone to listen. And it's so true. It's the people around you that are affected the most. That broke my heart watching my parents and sister yeah. watch me. It's Just, dreadful. And so young as well. Yeah. And I think when we're young, I don't know if you felt this, but I will admit and say you do feel like you're invincible. And you're constantly told you've got your whole life, you're so young. And then something like this happens and brings you back to earth to make you realise life is finite mm. and it's fragile. And just because we have something one day doesn't mean it will be like that the next day. I have other people in my life who have lost parents to cancer, who have watched their parents go through treatment, who are still living with metastatic cancer. But I think you are bonded without having to say anything. Mm. I remember I met someone recently who shared their experiences of losing their dad. We didn't really need to say anything more. I said, yeah, I've been through something with my dad too. And we just knew. It was really, it was quite strange. You just, you have this experience where unfortunately it bonds you in a really weird way that you just know and that you've had these really heavy emotions Mm. and these really heavy life experiences at a young age that makes you almost a little bit different to everyone else, I think. And you see the world a little bit differently. And as you said, you're bound together through really horrific circumstances, connection. And in this case, maybe an unspoken, you've both been through it. It's 
a spectrum of mm. sorts. No cancer story or journey is the same. Yeah. But regardless, in many cases, you can align with other people and form really yeah. strong connections through that. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And that's something that I get to see in my work is we have a network where we bring people together mm. who are from all across Australia, have different life backgrounds, career backgrounds, experiences, but we bring them together in a way where then they can use that collective to really make a change. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful. I'd love to see maybe that for young people who have either been diagnosed or have supported someone through it come together. And I think that would be so powerful in then how we live and how we move on. And I think that's what's great about your podcast. You're giving people that space where they can connect and they can listen. And it's almost not that you need your feelings validated, but it's almost that nice space where you can put it on. And I listen to the podcast in my car. It's almost like you can listen and you can relate and you can think, yeah, I really did go through that. And I know what that person's talking about. I know what they're saying. And it's real because it's such a crazy experience. Sometimes you go through what I've said. I'm This sounds crazy, but it's not. And I Mm. think other people will hear what I say and think, oh, I felt the exact same. I know what Mm. she's talking about. And if we can get that out there and share, and that's why I wanted to do this is if I can talk about it and I can share of what I've gone through, hopefully other people will listen and think, yeah, my my feelings are real and what I went through is real. And I'm going to take this experience. And of course, I think when people die and pass away, that's completely different you don't need to learn or to grow you can just work through that grief and then how you move on with life there is something for people in this then that's great if there is someone listening that thinks yeah that's made me that's given me a space to reflect and that's given me a chance to think about how I'm feeling and hopefully it's helping someone yeah I'm really proud of you because (laughs) in a short amount of time you've gone from not wanting to tell anyone to now talking about your lived experience, which is massive, which is massive. And people can live an entire lifetime and not even think about doing that or sharing that on a platform. So I am really proud of you. Yeah. Thank you. No, I'm just, I went into this thinking if anyone can sit here and take something from it, we live to make life a little bit easier for each other. So 100%. That's hopefully what I've done, but I hope I could share as well. I got into this a little bit earlier. If there's something that I can say, and something that people do take away from this. I want people to realise that cancer takes the very best from people. And what I mean by that is sometimes the journey's less invasive, like my dad, more straightforward. But for the majority of it's a traumatic experience and it leaves you a completely different person. I think, and I've seen the physical side of that, it leaves people scarred, it leaves people burnt, it leaves people without vital organs or other body parts like your breasts, your reproductive organs, which then that in itself has a significant impact on if we want to start a family, if we, and something that I've learned through working with breast cancer patients that I never even thought of is what having that surgery means for your identity and that an identity in sexual identity in gender identity and how complicated that is going forward yeah people who haven't experienced it see diagnosis treatment after but it's never that if anyone can take away it is never that 
It is a constant reminder every single day of what you have been through. And 100%. It doesn't just end. It doesn't mm. just go away. We People who are affected do want to gain some sense of normality and get back to it, but it's always there. Mm. It's whether it's a scar or you're, you, you're burned from your radiation therapy or you have to drink one beer and one glass of water. <laughs> like It's there. It's It has... Cancer has a lasting effect on the way that people feel about themselves, how they feel about their loved ones, who they define themselves as a person. And I'm not saying that you can't get to a place where you regain some of this at all, but it changes how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive the world around us. And I would love society and the community to know that it's lifelong and people who have been through treatment and have been through that carry it in some way, whether it is the fear of recurrence, whether it is the physical damage. The chemo has impacts on our cognitive impairment that can be forever. I know people that young people that have never gone back to work because their brain doesn't work the same that it used to. And don't, and like I said, don't get me wrong, chemo keeps people alive. Yeah. It does, but it changes your body and the way that you live. I, I know people that don't sleep because they're, they're of the pain. I hope that as a society, we can get better at how we look at cancer, how we view cancer, because I think if we do that, then we can have some really honest conversations about then how we support people forever going forward, how we support them through their life. It's about living well after and what that looks like, but changes. My living well is different to your living, Jackie. My living well is different to my dad's and how he's going to go forward. And it's with you for life. And that's what we said at the start of the podcast. I agree with you entirely. How do we proceed? How do we move on? How do we support these people? who have gone through so much. And I think gone are the days of that's just life and Mm. you'll be right and you'll move on. That's not the case anymore. We're in a society now that can weigh so heavy on so many people and mental health should be an open and reoccurring discussion because it's so important. Absolutely. And Mm. I think having these chats is only the beginning. The power of connection. It's nice to be somewhere where you feel like yeah, I can share this and it's not going to be looked at or something like that. My mates now, they they get it. If I'm at the pub and I've had a few beers and I meet a stranger and we (laughs) have a connection over cancer, they're all for it. Maybe once upon a time they were, okay, it's all right, mate. You've done it. It's all good. You're through treatment. You can move on now. No, this is what I will continue to do for the rest of my life. And whether it is spoken or if we go into it and we have a big chat and a big cry, whatever that might look like. It's still that connection that you're talking yeah. about and that experience that we've both been through. And I hope I do that for the rest of my life. And I hope you. Yeah, me too. And yeah. yeah. Like you said, working in cancer care and doing that from 21, that's what I want to do. For I hope I get to work in cancer care for the rest of my life. And you, you supporting people through this podcast as well is doing that. And it's another outlet. And it's just, it's an honor. It's a real privilege to listen. Like when people share their stories with me, I just, I feel so honored and I feel so privileged. Someone's trusted me to hear that and it's powerful and it's, yeah, I feel really 
grateful that they think this is someone who is deserving of that, is, can hear this. I hope I can continue and I'm not sure what that looks like. I studied rehabilitation counselling and finished that at the end of the year and that really looks at occupational and vocational rehab and getting people back to work mm-hmm. and something that I've noticed through, I haven't practised clinically yet, but Something that I've noticed is the lack of return to work specialists for people affected by cancer. And that is something that I would love to see because we know that work in itself gives people an identity and gives people motivation in their lives and something where they really want to go. And if you've been impacted and you can't quite get back there or you're not supported to, that's really challenging for people who then can't go back to work or can't regain that that sense of their little bit of normality back. So that's something that I would love to see. I'm really passionate about and hopefully through through my studies and through that uh, my career, I can help do that. That's where I'd really love to go. But we'll see what happens. I we'll see what take happens. E- take each day as it comes. One of the questions you asked, Jackie, was about has anything good come from this or what's one good thing or something that you're proud of? And I think one good thing for me, and this has come from my experience working with people affected by cancer and my experience with supporting my dad through a cancer diagnosis. And that is this wonderful thing called perspective. And I think I've allowed myself to be okay with that changing and continually changing as I go on. But I think my perspective has shifted from someone who probably thought cancer would never happen to me. That's never going to be me. I can just support other people and being completely flawed from something. And like just the rug was just ripped from under me. And now I look at life and I constantly feel, I check in and I feel grateful for my work, my home, my family, my friends, my boyfriend, my dogs, my love for AFL and the footy, the soccer. I love the soccer too. I'm watching the Matilda's play checking in and it's just made me grateful and I know people say that a lot but the there's weight behind that and there's an understanding behind that where life is finite it is fragile and we have to do our best to live it in a way that honors the people we love and especially if you've lost people to cancer I think yeah if you can go on and live your life and honor them in a way keep them with you and do things that they're there and they're walking beside you still and even my dad he he's still here and he's doing really well I just have taken that enjoy life go on holidays talk to your mates we had to create our family when we moved here from England so that's what they've taught me find your community build it up love them love the people that are around you and just enjoy Enjoy. And I know there's people who are probably going through treatment right now thinking, God, what is she talking about? How can I enjoy it? But the day will come where that happens for you too. And for people that are supporting people you loved, it, it will come. It feels, it gets really sad. It gets lonely. It gets hard. You feel angry when you're in it. It, it comes through. There's a point where it comes through and your perspective shifts. And if we can make yes. sure that we have those people there around us to support us, if we can check in with ourselves, then 
we can hopefully get to a place where we learn to live as well as we can. You're a beautiful lady, Ray. (laughs) (laughs) You're amazing. So you, I've loved doing this. Thank you for giving me the space to talk about it. Like we said, connection and stick together. I think it's so incredible what you're doing and the passion that you have behind this job. And I know you work, you probably work alongside some absolutely incredible people as well. It's really hard to come across people like you. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's no, but it's amazing. The passion and the drive and your perspective on everything is incredibly unique. And I really appreciate that. It's fantastic that people who are going through things and people who might be on the back end of their journey have people like yourself to talk to. It gives me a lot of hope and yeah. I'm tearing up. I have so much respect for you. And it's a hard job. Yeah. It is a hard job. But like I said, I I truly feel honoured. I truly, and it's such a privilege. It's such a privilege to be there for people. People share, people tell their stories. And it's just, I just feel so grateful. If we can give back to people when they really need it, that's what life's about, right? That is entirely what life is about. Yeah. Being there for others when they really need it. Yeah. And when you're in Melbourne next, we will go watch a footy game. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have one beer, one water. (laughs) We will have one beer, one water in honour of Gary. Gary. The last thing I want to say is a shout-out. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. (laughs) Yeah, the last thing I want to say is just a big shout-out to my amazing dad. Good on you, Gaz. (laughs) (laughs) He's probably getting on his Vespa soon to go get his (laughs) six-pack. My amazing dad has, like I said before, he isn't just a good dad because he did the basics of providing. He was goofy. He was fun. He still is fun. We still get dad jokes. I still get Instagram reels of memes sent to me every day. (laughs) He is so loved by a lot of my mates as well. He, our house when I was at school was the party pad and people would come over and just to share a little, a nice memory about him that I have is one day I came home from school and he, we had this room at the back of the house that was this big room and it was just blank and we didn't really know what to do with it. And we hadn't long been living there. And I came home and he had his record player on listening to Bob Marley and he was drawing Bob Marley on the wall, across the whole wall. And I remember thinking, mum is going to lose her shit. Man, <laughs> you're trying to get yourself in trouble. And then <laughs> he ended up painting the whole room, this dark red, and he made it into a bar. And it was just, ama- I'll have to send you a picture because it was Please amazing. Do. It was amazing. And we used to have parties in there and lots of my mates and still to this day, a lot of my guy mates from high school, how's Gaza? They all rallied behind him. They all love him. He's he's fun. He loves life. And I don't think my brother and I could have asked for a better dad. He's just an amazing person. And what, now I'm tearing up, but <laughs> what he's going through, he barely complained. He had a few moments there, but he just went through it and soldiered on and is an absolute hero to me and my brother and my mum. Gaz, when you hear this, I just love you a lot. Yes, man. (laughs) That's so beautiful. I want to meet Yasmin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jackie, don't say that because when your parents move to the sunny coast, 
He'll be inviting you all over. (laughs) (laughs) They can get on their Vespers from (laughs) either end. You'll be invited, so be careful what you wish for, okay? (laughs) Oh, that's so good. You are incredible, Ray. Thank you. So are you, Jackie. It's been an honour. Thank you. Thank you. And Gaz. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But he will be okay. Yeah, I'm so grateful for that too.